Tell me this, how many of you say, oh, I'm just browsing or we're just looking anytime someone at a store asks if you need help? I, I do this instinctively, even when I'm specifically looking for something and I need help, I'll just kind of um, out of reflex say, oh, I'm just looking. I think I picked this up from my dad because I'm pretty sure my dad would rather wrestle an alligator than have to deal with a pushy salesman. Um, there was a, there's a hardware store here uh, locally in Boonville, Eigner's Hardware, and they always have someone waiting. So as soon as you walk in, they can take you exactly to what you need. They're not pushy. Uh, it's super helpful. But even, I mean, the first several times I went in there, I just instinctively said like, oh, I'm just looking. Um, and I was missing out on the help uh, that I could have had. And I think that that comes out of we don't want to commit to, well, I'm here to buy this because then the salesman has this thing to push on us, to, to, to pressure us into buying whatever it is that they want us to buy. We like keeping our options open. We prefer to stay non-committal. What I want you to see in Luke chapter 10 is that commitment is core to following Jesus. Uh, last week we looked at Jesus said, if anyone will follow me, let him take up his cross, deny his selfish desires, and follow me. And so following Jesus isn't non-committal. We've got to commit. But there's this benefit when we do commit. Seth Godin talking about how a lot of times we read things just passively, not actively. We're not committed. We're not trying to, to learn. He says, when we adopt a posture of commitment, something extraordinary happens. Something extraordinary happens. And I want to see, I want you to see in Luke chapter 10 that when we have the right posture of commitment, that that posture changes everything. And so we're going to read the last few verses of Luke chapter 10. Look at this story about two sisters that Jesus came uh, to spend time with. Verse 38 of Luke 10 says, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. How many of you have a sibling? If you have a sibling, you can probably understand what happens in this passage uh, easier than someone who is an only child, because siblings are constantly telling on one another. And what we have here is Martha telling on Mary to Jesus and trying to get Jesus uh, to side with her. Now, this story has been uh, kind of dissected and used in countless sermons and books. And I'm afraid that many times when people think of this story, they see Mary and Martha as these polar opposites. They see Mary and Martha as these two extremes. And if you had a sibling or if you have two children, you probably can see them in the ways that they contrast from one another. But I want to start off by pointing out what was similar about Mary and Martha. This passage says that Martha welcomed Jesus into her house and that Mary also was listening to what Jesus had to say. 
we should be clear to start off here that both Mary and Martha were disciples of Jesus. Both Mary and Martha wanted to listen to what Jesus had to say. I'm afraid that we see Mary, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, and we think of her posture as passive, and she's not actively pursuing Jesus. And we see Martha, and she's really busy serving, and she's distracted with all of these things, and she's really committed, but she's not following Jesus. The reality is that both of them, both of them have welcomed Jesus' presence into their lives. But like all of the disciples, they're still working out how this is going to look in their lives. I don't want you to think of Mary as having this passive uh, stance, this passive posture with Jesus. Because if we're not careful, we can be enticed by this message of passivity in our relationship with Jesus. We can be enticed by this, this, this idea of non-committal, that I'm just here to hear the teaching of Jesus, that it needs to be laid upon me. Um, I think if we're not careful that the, the idea of Sabbath can actually be this, this temptation to, to, to exempt ourselves from commitment and activity. Um, Sabbath and resting in Jesus and sitting at Jesus' feet, none of that should be construed as a way to get your permission note to get out of serving. All right. How many of you ever tried to get your mom to write you a note so that you could skip school? How many of you ever maybe fooled your mom into thinking that you were sick when you weren't really? Um, Mary isn't sitting at the feet of Jesus because she wants to get out of work. Mary isn't sitting at the feet of Jesus because she's non-committal or passive. Rather, what I want you to see is that Mary had made a choice. She had made a commitment to sit at Jesus' feet. Look at verses 39 and 42 again. She had a sister called Mary who was also who also sat at the feet, Jesus' feet, and heard his word. She's not just there because it's a comfortable place to be. She's there to hear what Jesus has to say. Later in verse 42, when Jesus is speaking about Mary, he says one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now remember that through the last several chapters of Luke, there's been this emphasis that we've talked about in our weekend services. There's been this emphasis on hearing. Well, let me kind of review that really quick. Chapter 8 and verse 8 says, he's, Jesus is talking about the seed, and he says, Other fell on good ground, sprang up, and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had finished these things, he cried out with a loud voice. He yells, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is saying it's so important that you hear. Later, when he kind of explained this parable to the disciples, he said those that are on the good ground are those which have an honest and good heart, having heard the word and keep it and bring forth fruit, fruit with patience. In verse 18, Jesus said to the disciples, take heed therefore how you hear. You need to be careful that you're hearing, that you're listening. In chapter 8 and verse 21, 
Jesus says that those who hear his words and obey them, that they are the family of God. In chapter 9, when God speaks from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration, God says, this is my beloved son, hear him. In chapter 6, a few chapters ago, Jesus said that he who hears the word and doesn't do it, who doesn't hear carefully, who doesn't apply it, that he's like a man who builds a house without a foundation, and then the wind comes and blows it down. So what we have here in the Gospel of Luke is we have this theme that hearing the word of God is so vital in the discipleship relationship. And it's not just this act of hearing, but it's this hearing carefully or this hearing and applying. Hearing, which you're doing right now by watching this online worship experience, listening to this sermon on a podcast, it is a major component. It's incredibly important, and it's wonderful that you're doing this. However, if you just let this be a sound that that causes a sensation on your eardrums by the volume I'm making causing you to have some sensation, and that's all that it is, it won't do any good. You got to do something with it. You got to understand it. You got to apply it. You got to obey it. I mean, how many of us know that you can hear something without listening, right? How many of you know that you can hear what your spouse had to say but not listen to what your spouse had to say? How many of you know that you can hear a noise and not really understand what it is? How many of you have said on multiple occasions just this week, what was that? I like what someone said, 80% of marriage is just yelling, what, from the other room. There are times that you can't hear what your spouse said, but then there are times that you hear what your spouse said, but you weren't listening to what your spouse said. It's not just that you hear it, but you hear carefully or you listen to it, you understand and you apply it. There are times when I'm preaching uh, to our congregation and there are people in the room. By the way, I love having people in the room. Again, when I'm preaching on Sundays, knowing that there are people out there, but there are times when I'm looking out into the crowd and I can see that people might be hearing me because my microphone is on. And there might be times that I know that you're hearing me because I can see the volume meter bumping up and down on the video screen, but that doesn't mean that you're listening. there are times that I know that people have listened to the podcast or they've watched the video, but they haven't heard it. Times that people have sat in the congregation and they've listened to my message, but they haven't heard me. Mary was hearing And based upon what Jesus said about her later, it was a conscious choice to hear Jesus. She wasn't just capable of hearing his voice. She was engaging with his teaching. And and this is beautiful, okay? Hear this. You and I have the opportunity to do the exact same thing. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus to hear what he has to say. And the scriptures teach us that you and I have the exact same opportunity. In Luke's second book, in the book of Acts, we're going to see the disciples scatter in all different directions. But Jesus tells them before he leaves that he will go with them even unto the ends of the earth. That he must leave so that the Spirit may come and his presence will be with him. And that they will be able to sit at Jesus' feet even though they're going in all of these different directions. And Jesus has ascended into heaven. They will still be able to continue to sit at the feet of Jesus. Experience his presence presence 
and take in his teachings and his truth. If you and I are not experiencing what Mary is experiencing here in this passage, it isn't because you and I don't have access. It's because we are distracted from that access. And that's what happens to Martha. Verse 40 says that Martha was distracted with much serving. The King James Version uses the word cumbered. She was burdened. And this word in the Greek is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but when people were translating the Old Testament into Greek in what's called the Septuagint, they use this same word for Ecclesiastes 3.10, where the teacher says, I have seen the travail which God has given the sons of men to be exercised. And he's saying, I can see the sorrow or the hardship or the difficulties of life. Mary or Martha is covered up. She's burdened with all of these troubles, all of this sorrow, all of these things that need to be taken care of. And in verse 41, Jesus says about Martha, Martha, Martha. And isn't it beautiful that he says her name twice? You can hear the the love and the empathy in Jesus when he speaks to her. Jesus is about to correct her, but he doesn't do it in a harsh way. He shows her compassion and empathy. By the way, that goes a long way. Listen, I know that there are people that you disagree with. Start from a place of empathy. That's what Jesus does here. He's able to to, to talk to Martha because he starts, Martha, Martha. And then he says, you are worried and troubled about many things. And the word for worried, it could be anxious or careful or occupied. And Martha would probably say, I'm not anxious. I'm just detail-oriented. Martha would, would say, I'm not, I'm not worried. I just want to make sure that everything's taken care of. You are worried, anxious, careful, occupied, and troubled. And the word troubled, it's, it's the same idea of waters that are calm, and then they're troubled. Something causes them to have waves. Something stirs the water. Some some big stone falls in it and causes waves. It troubles the waters. Now, I I want you to, to see something here, okay? Jesus doesn't tell Martha that she should not be concerned or careful about things. He doesn't say that. He points out that Martha is concerned about many things, but that Mary has chosen the better thing. Jesus doesn't condemn Martha for being industrious. He doesn't doesn't correct her for being careful. But what he says is, you are occupied with many things while Mary has focused on the most important thing. I don't think that you should be unconcerned with everything. I don't think that you should have this laissez-faire approach to, like, doesn't matter. That it, 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 who cares? You shouldn't just go through life saying akuna matata, man. What will be, will be. Kesara, sara. Um, no worries. It's not saying that. But what Jesus is saying is that you need to be focused on and industrious about and passionate about and committed to the most important thing. Maybe you've heard. Um, somebody say that you should be like a duck. 
that on the surface, you know, a duck, when a duck is swimming, on the surface it looks very still. Doesn't look like it's working really hard, but if you look underneath the surface, you can see its little web feet just constantly paddling like crazy. And you say, you should, you should be like a duck. On the surface, everything is calm, but underneath, you're just paddling like crazy. And I'm not really crazy about that analogy because it kind of has this idea of like, we need to pretend like everything is okay when we're working really hard. We need to pretend like we're not worried about anything when we really are. I would say, you know, you, you don't need to be like a duck who has this facade that everything's fine, but is working really hard. I would say that what you need to do is that you get really passionate about the most important thing. And that's what will actually get you somewhere. Um, I would love for us to learn to take the passion of Martha and focus it on the priorities of Mary the passion of Martha, and focus it on the priorities of Mary. And by the way, I'm not saying that Mary wasn't passionate because I believe that she chose that she was intentionally sitting at the feet of Jesus. She wasn't being passive or lazy. She had made a choice, Jesus said. But when we think of this story, we think of Martha as the industrious, passionate one, and we think of Mary as having the right priority. I would love for us to bring those two together. It's for this reason that I have been emphasizing win the day for months. I've been telling you to start your day with God's word, that before you go to any other source of information, whether it's social media or news, whatever, that before you go to any other source of information, you start your day with God's truth. Because I believe how you start your day will shape how you spend your day. And I've also hoped that when the day would, would not only just be this good thing that we do, but it would be what's called a keystone habit. Charles Duhigg coined the phrase keystone habit, and it refers to a habit that causes a chain reaction of choices or a chain reaction of good habits. In his book, uh, Duhigg talks about how the CEO of Alcoa back in the 80s, he came onto the scene and he, he's introduced to the stockholders and the investors and he, all he talks about is safety and how that safety is going to be Alcoa's number one priority. And after he's given this speech of how safety is going to be Alcoa's number one priority, how they are going to take the, the care and health of their employees so very seriously, someone raises their hand and they ask a question, what would be a very common question for that type of stockholders, shareholders meeting about, um, um, about inventory and in pricing, basically how much money can we expect to make over the next quarter? And Paul O'Neill is this guy's name. He says, I don't think you heard me. The priority for Alcoa is safety. And one investor told Charles Duhigg years later when he was writing his book that he immediately ran to a payphone and called his, his broker and said, get rid of all of Alcoa's stock because they put some hippie in charge of the company that only cares about safety and he's going to bankrupt the company. Paul O'Neill made good on his promise to focus on safety, and that required a whole lot of standards, a whole lot of, of policies. It required a whole lot of communication between plants, and something interesting happened. By focusing on safety, 
and requiring all of the plants to communicate with one another, to have better communication among the employees, it actually made the, com the company more efficient and more effective. That by becoming safer, that, that process caused this chain reaction of better decisions in uh, how they made their processes, how they communicated with one another, how the plants communicated with one another, and it made them a stronger company. And the revenues multiplied five times during O'Neill's tenure as a CEO. You see... My hope is that you'll see that starting the day with God's word can set you up for spending the day with God. That it's not just about reading your Bible, and that is so very important, but that you will see this need to sit at the feet of Jesus, to experience his presence in your life, that you will practice the presence of Jesus, that you will follow his leading and his guiding in your life. Listen, Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She, she wasn't doing anything that was, that was sinful or wrong. She was engaged in serving other people. It was good stuff that she was doing and making sure that everyone was taken care of. And she was working hard at it, but she had her priorities out of order. And I believe that winning the day and practicing the presence of Jesus is the way that we can put our priorities in the right order. Listen, there's a lot of really great stuff that you could do. There's a lot of really important things that we can be passionate about and we can be loud about, but there's one needful thing, and I will continue to beat the drum on this one needful thing. We must sit at the feet of Jesus because it doesn't matter how fast you climb the ladder if it's leaning against the wrong wall. It doesn't matter how fast you make it down the road if you're going in the wrong direction. It doesn't matter how zealous you are if you're working on the wrong things. But I believe that if we focus on the right thing, if we're going down the right path, if we've got our eyes upon Jesus, if the ladder is leaned against the right wall, that all of those other things will take care of themselves. Listen, I'm thankful for Martha's. I can easily slip into being a Martha. Um, few things bring me as much satisfaction as crossing things off of a to-do list. But Martha's, like me, we often get lost in the list of things that need to be done and, mo and miss out on the most important thing that we can do. And in these moments, when we've got all these things that we're trying to do, whether it's for a home we're trying to make or a company we're trying to build or a church we're trying to, to, to lead, no matter how noble it is in these moments where it's not going like we wish it would and we think it should, in these moments it's really easy to fall into a trap of changing reality, realigning reality to what we want it to be. If we're not careful, we can easily fall into reacting like Martha. And what does Martha do? She sees that Mary's not helping her. Things aren't going well. She's not able to get everyone served. And she says, Jesus, don't you care? Martha tells on her sister to Jesus. You ever tell on people to God? You ever say, hey, God, did you know that they're not doing what they're supposed to? Guilty. Now, obviously, God knows, and we know that he knows. But what we don't understand is, why doesn't he care? But Martha says, Lord, don't you care? 
Master, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me? Martha knew that Jesus knew that Mary wasn't helping, but she didn't understand why Jesus wasn't doing something about it. And it can be really tempting to recruit God into your agenda. It can be really tempting to carry on your plan to change the world or to change your spouse or to change your kids or to change whatever and attempt to recruit God into your plan. But listen, God doesn't need your advice on changing someone else, but God would love for you to accept the change he wants to bring in you. God doesn't need your instructions on how to change the world, but he has asked for your permission, your acceptance, your willingness on the change that he wants to bring in you. And so in this moment, Martha says, Lord, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me? And instead of getting on Martha's agenda to change Mary, Jesus turns to Martha and he brings a change into her life. And he helps her see where her priorities were wrong. Hear me. Stop trying to get God on your team. Join his team. Stop trying to get Jesus to follow your lead. Follow him. Stop telling God what he really ought to do and simply sit at his feet. He is the king of glory. And you know what's awesome about that? Being the king of glory is a lot of pressure and a lot of work. Um, and I think that there are several of us that we really ought to try, that we really ought to resign from being king of the universe because we're not up for it. We're not capable of handling it. We think that we can keep all of these balls in the air and that we can keep all of these things going. We're not, we're not up for the challenge. Jesus alone is up for the challenge. Jesus alone is qualified to be king of the universe. You are not. So just sit at his feet and let him handle it. He alone is up for it. And when you do that, man, all this pressure is off of you. And it's on Jesus. And you're free to simply sit at his feet. Follow his lead. Stop trying to convince Jesus to get on your page, on your agenda, follow your lead. Resign from the position of king of the universe. Let Jesus take that seat and you sit at his feet.